Welcome. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast, the show that cuts through the fog of war and updates you about the ongoing conflict in Ukraine. With your host, Linnea Hubbard. Don't forget to like, comment and subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify and Google Podcasts. I'm Linnea Hubbard and today is Wednesday, November 9th, 2022 and the end of week 37 of the Russia-Ukraine War. It's been 3,178 days since Russia occupied Crimea on February 27, 2014, and 259 days since the large-scale invasion of Ukraine began. Today's podcast looks at what happened yesterday in the Russia-Ukraine war. The Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War update is compiled by our team from around the world. Today's report includes information from direct contacts in Ukraine and their proxies, Russian Ministry of Defense reports, the General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine reports, Operational Command South of Ukraine, Open Source Intelligence, our in-house team of analysts and geolocation experts, and pro-Ukrainian and pro-Russian mill bloggers and social media accounts with a track record of trying to be accurate. We have one mission, to report the truth, because the truth matters. Let's start with our assessment of the current status of the war. First, we maintain that President Putin's inner circle is actively targeting Russian Minister of Defense Sergei Shoigu for dismissal and replacement due to continued military failures in Ukraine. Second, we maintain that trust in the Kremlin to provide an accurate assessment of the so-called special military operation has further eroded. Third, We maintain that the Russian Navy's presence in the Black Sea has become irrelevant, with missile carriers reluctant to patrol beyond the immediate coast of Sevastopol. Fourth, we maintain that terror attacks on civilians and civilian infrastructure will continue across Ukraine, and maintain our concern that a large wave is about to begin. Fifth, we assess that the Russian military within Ukraine is combat-ineffective and is only capable of mounting effective defensive operations. Sixth, we maintain that the private military company Wagner Group is spread too thin due to its expanding role in the Donetsk Oblast and the revelation of crippling battlefield losses. Seventh, we maintain that the so-called evacuations in Kherson are part of an organized genocide against the Ukrainian people. Eighth, we maintain that Russian forces will retreat from the west bank of the Dnipro over the next three to seven weeks. Ninth, We assess that Rasputitsa is coming to an end, and forecast models indicate that significant snow is coming to regions of Ukraine within the next 7 to 10 days. Tenth, we maintain that Ukraine holds the battlefield initiative, forcing Russian troops to remain in a defensive posture. And finally, we maintain that Russian forces in Belarus remain a credible threat for an invasion of western Ukraine, but we now assess the possibility has pushed further out to the next 60 to 90 days. Let's get some regional updates, starting with the Kherson counteroffensive and Mykolaiv. There were multiple reports by Russian sources that Ukraine has relaunched offensive operations in Kherson in three directions, Pravdine, Snikhorivka, and Sukhanova to Dudchene. None of the reports come from reliable sources. Ukrainian sources echoed the Russian reports without pictures or videos. Look, we don't want to throw cold water on the reports, but there needs to be more evidence. 
The reports are likely fueled by a significant increase in Ukrainian artillery fire and airstrikes. Operational Command South, or OCS, reported 11 airstrikes were carried out, and ground forces completed 290 fire missions. The activity level does not indicate a new large-scale offensive has started, or that Ukraine is setting conditions. It does show that operational tempo is returning to a normal state. This increase has likely fueled panic among Russian mill bloggers. Ukraine destroying Russian ammunition depots in Snikhorivka and Kostromka probably caused additional concern. There were independent reports that Russian positions in Pravdine came under heavy fire in the morning. Earlier reports that Russian VDV troops had withdrawn from Snikhorivka and were replaced by the 205th Regiment were untrue. There was very little additional information out of Kherson due to Ukraine's operational security and Russian interference with the internet and cellular services. Our skepticism about yesterday's report claiming the Dnipro River was closed to civilian ferry traffic was well-placed. Ferry crossings continued, with operators now demanding bribes from passengers. Russian claims that Ukraine would start heavy shelling of Kherson city between November 6th and 8th were untrue just as we expected. It was quiet in Mykolaiv for the third day in a row. Let's move on to Dnipropetrovsk and Zaporizhia. The situation at the Zaporizhia nuclear power plant remains unchanged, and the International Atomic Energy Agency, or IAEA, has not provided an update since November 5th. There has also been no update on the status of the kidnapped Enerhoadim employee in Russian custody. The city of Nikopol, the village of Pridniprovsk in Chervonogriurivka Romada, and the village of Dobranadia in Markhanets Romada were shelled by Uragan rockets fired by multiple launch rocket systems, or MLRS, overnight. There were no injuries, and there was no information on damage at the time of recording. Russia launched at least nine Iranian-sourced Shahed-136 kamikaze drones on Dnipro. Five were shot down, but four struck a trucking company facility and a warehouse, injuring four civilians, three of them critically. A 300-square-meter building was destroyed in the attack. Otherwise, there was only sporadic artillery fire from the Zaporizhia-Donetsk administrative border to Huliapola to Orekhiv to Stepova. You're listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. Our team of journalists, researchers, and analysts is funded by readers, listeners, and viewers just like you. To support independent journalism, please consider becoming a patron. You can find us on patreon.com at malcontentnews. Now to the Donbass region, starting with southwest Donetsk. Fighting continued near Pavlivka, with Russian military leaders pushing more elite troops into the teeth of a withering defense. There was no change in the situation, and Russian casualties remained high. One officer reported that Russia was running out of main battle tanks to send on attacks. The 1st Army Corps of the Donetsk People's Republic, or DNR, renewed attacks on Novomikhailivka, and upheld their time-honored military tradition of not being able to break through Ukrainian defenses. Fighting west of Donetsk quieted down, with positional battles around Pervomaiske. The DNR has likely exhausted its available light infantry again, and will restart larger attacks in the next three to five days, with a fresh wave of mobics to throw at the lines. In northeast Donetsk, 
Private Military Company, or PMC Wagner Group, must have gotten a fresh group of convict mercenaries, with a wave of attacks along the entire front they manage. For the first time in months, their forces attempted to advance simultaneously on Yakovlivka, Solidar, and Bakhmutska. Oh, no, they were not successful, but fighting was intense on the eastern edges of Solidar. The General Staff of the Armed Forces of Ukraine, or GSAFU, reported that Ukrainian forces repelled attacks on Bakhmut, Opitne, Klitschivka, and Mayorsk. The most intense fighting is east of Bakhmut around the E-40 highway and just east of Opitne in Ivanhrad. Russian sources claimed that PMC Wagner had advanced into Bilohorivka, the one in Donetsk, but did not provide video or picture evidence. We adjusted the map to move the line of conflict to the T-1302 highway. Reports that PMC Wagner, supported by the Luhansk People's Republic, or LNR, 2nd Army Corps, had advanced into Bilohorivka in Donetsk, were false. We moved the line of conflict back to its position on November 6th. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian troops repelled an attack on Vesele in Donetsk, but did not specify if it was the Vesele by the international airport or the one north of Yakovlivka, because both are on the current line of conflict, and both are adjacent to where fighting was reported. Moving on to Luhansk, Russian forces repeated their attacks on Bilohorivka, the one in Luhansk, without success, confirming that claims by the LNR that they had captured the town were also false. No Bilohorivkas for you! I'm, I'm so sorry for that. The GSAFU reported that Ukrainian forces successfully defended Novoselivske from a Russian attack. We had previously coded this settlement as contested and occupied by Ukraine. Other than that, there was positional fighting and probing for weaknesses by both belligerents along the entire line of conflict. In the Cherniv and Sumy region, Dmitry Zhivitsky, Sumy Oblast administrative and military governor, reported the Hromadas of Miropilia, Krasnopilia, Bilopilia, Snopnovhorotsk, and Velika Pisarivka were attacked with drone-delivered IEDs, artillery, and mortars fired from across the Russian border. Power was knocked out in one village near Bilopilia due to the shelling, but there were no other reports of injuries or damage. In the Black Sea, Crimea, and Odessa region, the Black Sea fleet remains largely at port, with no missile-carrying ships on patrol. A Russian Su-30 multi-role fighter launched a single XH-32 air-to-surface cruise missile toward Mykolaiv, which was shot down by air defenses. Let's talk about developments theater-wide and outside Ukraine. Inspectors reviewing the debris of shot-down Shahed-136 drones discovered that parts to assemble the UAVs were manufactured after Russia's wide-scale invasion of Ukraine on February 24th. The revelation shoots down Iran's claim that it had delivered a, quote, small number of drones to Russia in 2021. In our War Crimes and Human Rights segment, we discuss events that might be upsetting to hear about. There is no graphic detail in today's report, but we will discuss sexual violence, and if you are sensitive to descriptions of human rights abuses of any kind, please feel free to skip ahead to the next segment. Timestamps are in the description. A video is circulating on Russian social media channels graphically showing the horrors of the Dovshina, the, quote, terror of the grandfather, 
The word comes from a slang term for more experienced soldiers and describes systematic hazing of newer soldiers by soldiers with more seniority. Male rape is a common tool used against conscripts to gain obedience, and a disturbing and very graphic video showed a Mobik being raped by his superior officer. Legally, we can't share the video. Ethically, we refuse to. We can't validate the video's authenticity, which would require interviewing the victim, but raping conscripted soldiers during training is a well-known problem and has been part of Russian military culture for decades. A final thought here. Please don't go searching for the video. You don't want to watch it. We didn't want to watch it. Okay? In geopolitical news, PMC Wagner's success in advancing on Bakhmut only matches Prigozhin's success in interfering with the American midterm elections. A day after vowing his interference would surgically remove both kidneys and the liver of the United States, it appears the results were equal to the -the turn-of-the-century urban legend of waking up in a hotel bathtub full of ice, absent a kidney. In other words, it didn't happen. U.S. American voters appeared to have rejected talking points similar to those directed at the Russian population. The Democratic Party is poised to maintain control of the Senate, and the Republicans projected to gain 14 to 18 seats in the House, which would give them a razor-thin majority. Political watchers had expected Republicans to pick up 40 seats in the House and one or two seats in the Senate. Concerns about Election Day violence in the United States were largely unwarranted, with only one significant incident in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, where a gunman walked into a polling place and demanded voting be stopped. He was subdued without further incident. The midterm results mean the political appetite to continue to provide military support to Ukraine will continue until January 2025. In economic news, the ruble was steady at an exchange rate of 61 for one U.S. dollar. Oil prices drifted lower, with WTI crude trading at $89 a barrel and Brent dropping to $95. United States wholesale RBOB gasoline on the spot market was steady at $2.62 per gallon, or $0.69 per liter. Dutch TTF gas futures for December 2022 contracts were up slightly, trading at €117 per megawatt hour. January 2023 contracts also inched up, reaching 124 euros. Chicago SRW wheat futures plummeted to $8.28 a bushel for March 2022 contracts. We do have some breaking news for you today. According to Sergei Sorovykin and the Russian Ministry of Defense, Russian forces are withdrawing from the west side of the Dnipro River, including the city of Kherson. There are also unconfirmed reports that Kherson deputy mayor and collaborator Kirill Stremusov has died in a car accident. And that's what we know. Join me again tomorrow for more updates. Until then, stay safe, everyone. You've been listening to the Malcontent News Russia-Ukraine War Podcast. To help keep us independent, please consider providing financial support by becoming a patron. Want on-demand news in your hand? Download the Google News app and make Malcontent News one of your favorites to receive breaking news updates. Thank you for listening.